Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your precious word, that we can read and study. Lord, may we be obedient disciples. May we listen now to your word. Give me grace to speak it as you would have it spoken. And I pray for teachable hearts and that your name would be exalted through this time. We praise you. We exalt you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you can see this morning, the uh, theme is rest. Some of you probably think, oh, I need rest. You know, June is kind of a month of rest, I think. A lot of people take vacations. A lot of people are gone even today uh, on vacation. And, uh, of course, this is the Lord's Day, a day of rest. Uh, Praise God that he has made it, uh, instituted it at creation, and we have a day of rest today. Now, if you ask people, what really causes you to rest? I don't know if you've asked anybody that. You know, what do you think they'll say? Or even, what is rest? You know, that might even be a good question. What is rest? You know, quietness and rest are uh, kind of foreign, I think, to the American uh, lifestyle. You know, frenetic activity actually is a more common thing. You know, we just run around uh, a lot. Now, some might think, you know, some might answer that question, well, vacations. You know, vacations are restful. Uh, And I'm not sure about you, but I know the Duffs. I can think of some ones, especially camping vacations we went on, and I had to have a vacation after I came back from vacation. And I don't know why. I mean, it, was, uh, it wasn't physically restful, but it was restful. You know, we went to a different place. It was beautiful. It was a change of pace. But it wasn't, I guess, what I would call rest. And apparently, Americans don't really know how to rest. I found an article. Uh, in fact, it says this article is saying we don't know how to rest when, even when we can. Uh, this article said it was a detail of uh, various countries and how many uh, paid days of vacation, on average, these countries had. Now, I don't know what you would think is the top of the list. I was kind of surprised. But the Italians have 42 days a year of paid vacation. 42 days a year. After that, there's France. They have 37. Germany has 36. Canada has 26. Japan has 25. I was kind of surprised about that. The U.S. has 13. And in the article... Uh, I'm try- I was trying to think, what's 13 of those? But anyway, in the article it said that only 50% of Americans take all of the vacation time that they can. And the point of the article, too, was, oh, we just don't know when to quit. We just want to work all the time. Uh, I'm not sure that's really true, but anyway, that was the point of the article. Uh, now, some people think that, uh, you know, what is restful? It's just laying around. You know, just laying around with nothing to do. You know, that's really restful. Well, I would propose that uh, maybe a little bit, but boredom can be very deadening, can be a very deadening thing. Uh, Certainly, it's not the kind of rest for your soul that we're talking about this morning. And then some might say, well, rest is the complete absence of work, you know, no labor. Uh, And yet, God made us to be creative. He gave us hobbies, um, you know, creative activity that we can do. We can enjoy music. We can enjoy uh, singing, uh, you know, you know, like the Kaisers, they, their idea of vacation is to fillet and scale hundreds of fish, you know. I don't know, it would, probably wouldn't be mine, but that's theirs. And I know some of you guys, you get uh, uh, great 
refreshment in target practice. You know, you just like blowing away a target. I guess you take out your tensions on the target. So, you know, there are different people at rest in different ways, of course. Uh, but in this short passage, what I'd like to share is, first of all, what true rest is, or in our case, who it is, and then how we can gain rest, and then what it's like when we have it. In the context, if you would look with me in chapter 11, in the context, if you look back at verse 7 in chapter 11, it says, as they departed, these are uh, the uh, disciples of John, they departed after asking a question to Jesus. Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. So he was addressing uh, a large group of people. And then if you go uh, to verse 25, uh, which we did read, it says, at that time Jesus answered and said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So, in a sense, he was uh, in front of the multitudes, uh, beginning, giving his answer, in a sense, through a prayer. He was teaching the multitudes through his prayer. And verse 28 begins, and it says, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, the, I'd like to make the first point. If you notice on your outline, the first major point is that the invitation or the calling uh, to rest, that is, come to me, is given by the only source of rest, who is Jesus Christ to those who are heavy laden and those who by his grace will find rest. Now, in verse 28, it says, come to me. Jesus made an invitation. And Jesus was inviting these people uh, to believe in him and find rest in him. And he addressed this to the weak and the weary and those burdened or loaded down. Now, labor here means toil to the point of weariness and exhaustion. And the heavy laden here means an unbearable burden a very oppressive weight. And he, he wasn't inviting the strong or those who thought they were strong, like the Pharisees here. He was inviting, uh, historically, he was speaking right then, he was speaking to the very burdened people of Israel. And they really were burdened. The multitudes were burdened. First of all, they had to keep the ceremonial law. And then the scribes and the Pharisees piled uh, even more burden on them with extra demands and, and minute details. And in Matthew 23... In uh, verse 4, Jesus was talking to the multitudes about the scribes and Pharisees. And this is what he said about them. For they bind heavy burdens. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. In other words, they put them on people, essentially, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not uh, move them with one of their fingers. So they were good at adding burdens. They are not good at helping people uh, be relieved of them. And that's what legalists do, by the way. And in Acts 15, another verse related to this, verse 10 said, uh, some of the Judaizers had, uh, this was at the Jerusalem council, and some of the Judaizers were telling uh, the uh, disciples, the apostles, that uh, when new con converts come, they should be circumcised. And Peter said, this is what Peter said in Acts 15:10. why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? We've never been able to bear this. Why, what are you doing? You're putting a, more a burden upon them. Why? He was saying, why should we add to the gospel burdens which we can't even bear? And then in Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul urged the Galatians, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And I had fun studying about yokes. A lot of things I'm not going to share today about yokes in the scripture. Uh, but we are... Uh, not to be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And you'll see later we are yoked, but not with, not with a yoke of bondage. Now, the yoke of the ceremonial law was heavy, and the Pharisees, as I mentioned, added to, the, to it by their traditions 
and which were also oppressive. And it's all too common, I think, for Christians to want to add their own laws, their own uh, works to gain righteousness, if you will, uh, to others or, or to themselves. Uh, they'll add works in order to receive the grace of God. And especially in regard to our salvation, we must resist this. We must resist the tendency to go back to anything in place of Christ for our righteousness. We will only be more burdened and not experience the soul rest that we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, one thing I found that is definitely not burdensome is in 1 John uh, 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So keeping his commandments, in other words, pulling the yoke in the direction the Lord is going, is not burdensome. And in James, indeed, it talks about uh, the law of liberty. We're liberated by the law of God, by the commandments of God. So actually, uh, we are liberated by being yoked with the Lord and free and able to keep uh, the commandments by his grace. Now, this invitation, uh, come to me, is the good news. And, you know, the call of the gospel is to be proclaimed to all. We're, we're to be proclaiming it. Uh, the, this is our message, that there's hope and redemption and uh, life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ alone. This is the gospel. He alone can take away the burden uh, and the penalty of our sin. And, uh, and the Lord Jesus is also speaking to us now uh, the same way. We who have come to Christ, and he is still saying to us, come to me. Come to me. Jesus alone can give us rest from our burdens, from the enemy's relentless attacks, upon us from the world's hatred and its enmity and uh, just the weakness of our own sinful natures. And the invitation to come here and find rest or the relief from the burden uh, of salvation by works is effectual to those who from eternity past were chosen to enter into that promised rest. In Matthew 11, we read this verse, verse 27, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In John 6, many of you know this verse, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way. So the invitation to come to Jesus is to all who labor and are heavy laden. They're to the multitudes who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this calling is effectual in us, in his children, his sheep. Now, regarding this labor uh, and being heavily burdened, in verse 28, it says, all you who labor and are heavy laden. uh, One of the first thoughts I had as I began the study was of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. And, uh, you know, he had this uh, burden and he came to the cross and the burden fell off. And until that point, the journey was really tough. And uh, he wasn't making much progress to the celestial city. It was very tiring. In fact, it was impossible uh, with the burden of his sin and his guilt. And I'd like to ask three questions. Uh, at this point. First of all, are you laboring to gain what the gospel has already given? Grace and freedom from the burden. If you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, you should now reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can say no to sin. You don't need to live under the burden uh, of your sin or try to pay for it. Second question, are you weary from the battle against the world, the flesh, and the the enemy? And do you try to find rest without coming to Jesus? It's still the only way. Only he can give it. And number three, third question, are you telling others who are burdened, those around you, uh, those not yoked yet, maybe with Jesus, 
that they can find rest in Christ alone. We have the joy of being messengers now, of passing on this invitation uh, through the gospel. And may the Lord give us compassion here at Dominion Covenant Church. Compassion and eyes to see people who are burdened. We don't. Sometimes we are uh, going down the road. We don't. Our eyes are not open. Here's a verse that might help you in that regard. When you're thinking of uh, those who do not know Christ, Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. The smoke of their torment ascends forever. There is no rest day or night ever. I believe that's hell. In contrast, two verses later in Revelation 14, verse 13, it says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. That's a very encouraging verse. You know, those who die in the Lord have an eternal rest from their labors. uh, And the result of their labor now with the Lord while they're yoked with him uh, will follow them. And this is how we, I believe, lay up treasure in heaven. We labor with the Lord in his yoke and our works follow us. A picture of grace. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. So we've been invited to come to Christ and to rest in him. And we can also now invite others to come to him. The same invitation. Then verse 28 continues, I will give you rest. Well, what's this rest like? And what kind of rest? Like I mentioned in the beginning, sometimes a lot of people don't know. Well, I'm not even sure what is restful or how to find rest. Um, First of all, he's the source of the rest, as I mentioned. And we're talking really here about a quiet soul. You know, it may not be physically restful. Uh, in Psalm 23, our shepherd, as our shepherd, it says, he restores our soul. And this is the rest at the soul level that, that many people do not find. And you cannot find without Christ. Verse 29 says, and you will find rest for your soul. But this rest is not a rest from labor necessarily here. Uh, or a time when there are no afflictions or trials. But it's actually a rest even during those trials. And trials often force us, I believe, to realize where our rest really is. And when you read many of the stories of many of the saints and many of the martyrs, those who are persecuted, they have a rest that is really hard to comprehend. They experienced a rest and a peace beyond understanding. And in Vine's Expository Dictionary, there's a Scottish pastor named James Patrick back in 1880, this is what he had to say about this rest. He said, this is not the rest of inactivity, but of a harmonious working of all the faculties and affections, will, heart, imagination, conscience, all those things in God. So he was saying biblical rest is is not inactive, uh, but it's a joyful work with the Lord. If you will, it's a labor of love. So do you need restoring today? Do you need rest? Do you need refreshment in your soul and rest from your weariness? Well, whether it's for salvation or sanctification, you cannot carry the burden alone. You cannot achieve rest without the Lord Jesus. You must come to him continually, daily. And Paul asked the Galatians this question. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying how? In other words, do you think you can come to Jesus and answer his call by grace and then find rest without him? One of the major ways we learn to rest, I believe, and experience this rest is as we rejoice, or as we are today, in, uh, on the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. And Sabbath means to cease, to rest. And this day should be a time to anticipate and think about our eternal rest, 
And John Piper, a quote I love in Desiring God, uh, he called uh, our time on earth, he called it a vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. It's a vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. And uh, this day, I believe, can and should be a taste of and preparation for our future rest. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, uh, but going back to the people of Israel, uh, Jesus was talking to the multitudes here. And during the time that this passage was written, the Sabbath had become much less of a day of rest and joy. It had become a, a real burden, really, with many regulations to keep. And they had to work hard to try to rest. Uh, they didn't rest uh, much. Uh, even though even the rules that the Pharisees piled on to not do this or not do that became burdensome. And uh, following this passage, actually, in Matthew 12, Jesus will deal with the legalism of the Pharisees regarding uh, the Sabbath. But they had turned the Sabbath into a very unrestful day. And the word rest in the Bible is also used of our final rest, of course, of death. Uh, many times in the Old Testament, it says he, uh, he rested with his fathers. He rested with his fathers. He died. And we do rest, of course, when we die, as we saw in Revelation 14. Uh, we rest in his presence, and we rest unhindered by our sin. And we'll be doing all those things that give us rest now, only more, better, more joyfully, more completely, more fully. Uh, but Jesus is also our resting place now. He will be certainly forever. He is now. And uh, so part of our rest now, I believe, is in knowing that we really and fully uh, will understand rest in the new earth, and uh, we are beginning to experience it now. We're beginning to experience our ultimate rest. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, it says, The eternal God is your refuge. He is now. He is your refuge, your rest, and your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He is your resting place now. So, you've been invited to rest, to come to him by the only source of true rest, of soul rest, by the Lord Jesus, and you can have this rest only by faith in him. The second major point is that our responsibility as we rest in this yoke with Jesus, with the Lord, is to submit to his will and to his authority. Uh, Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And there are three key uh, action words, I believe, in, in this short passage. There's come, and then there's take, and then there's learn. Come, take, and learn. Uh, The crowds Jesus spoke to uh, here would, I believe, clearly have understood the illustration using yoke. I mean, they grew up seeing uh, animals yoked and and working in the fields. And maybe Jesus uh, even made yokes, I'm not sure, in in the carpentry shop. Now, I'm not an expert on yokes. I learned some things by studying this. I'm not an expert on yokes. But from my extensive readings in the Little House on the Prairie series... I learned a lot about yokes. I, I know all of you have. I've read it, I, I calculated at least eight times. We read it once out loud to all the kids. I read it once by myself. So uh, I learned that, you know, again, you, you take two animals uh, and they're yoked together and you have a stronger or a wiser or a calmer one, an experienced one here, and you, you yoke a, a, more, a less experienced uh, horse or an ox uh, with uh, that horse to train them so they won't be injured and uh, they'll be more productive. You remember Almanzo, he, he made his own yoke and his father taught him how to use it and he had a lot of problems with it, but he learned, he learned. And uh, we here begin to take uh, this yoke by faith. You all began being yoked with Jesus by faith 
enabled by the Holy Spirit to repent and to believe in him. And we continue to take his yoke by obedience and submission, which is also by faith. So as paradoxical as it may seem, true rest is only found when we're yoked. True rest is only found when we're yoked. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had this to say about the passage. He said, we are to take his yoke upon us voluntarily. You observe, it does not say, bear my yoke when it is laid upon you, but take it. So Charles Spurgeon was saying, this is what he went on to say, do not merely submit to be the Lord's servant, but seek his service. Ask, what can I do? Be desirous to do it voluntarily, cheerfully, and do all that lies in you for the extension of his kingdom, who has given you rest, and you shall find that the rest of your soul shall lie in your doing all you can for Jesus. So the rest, of your, the rest in your soul that we're talking about today is doing all you can for Jesus. We are now responsible and able, by the grace of God, to take initiative, to walk by faith, to make our calling and election sure as we are yoked with him. Okay, the other key word, learn from me, this is the word for a disciple, a learner. And the older horse or the oxen, like I mentioned, they were trained with the younger ones uh, as they were yoked together. Now, regarding this learning, I have another question for you. Are you. Do you think right now, in your life now, are you learning willingly or are you pulling against the yoke? Do you have a teachable heart? One submissive to what the Lord wants you to learn. Ask him to give you a teachable heart. Now, rest and discipleship actually go together. Uh, The sovereign election of God and the rest which comes from this grace goes with our responsibility to learn from him and continue to grow in grace. They work together. Now, learning as a disciple, in the Hebrew way of learning anyway, learning as a disciple is not just academic or intellectual. It never was. It involves following, it involves taking action, and resting in the Lord goes with working with the Lord. A disciple actively applies his learning. So is God sovereign? Yes, absolutely. Are you responsible to grow in him, and does this involve some labor? Yes. And if you think you can find rest in the Lord by being inactive, in other words, by, what I mean by that is by not uh, laboring or not disciplining yourself or submitting to discipline, you will not be walking in the depth of the rest, which the Lord is speaking about here and promises. So you gain rest daily by submitting and obeying as a servant and by submitting and obeying as a student, servant and a student, as a disciple. Take his yoke, learn from him. Now third, the third major point is the result will be, if you do this, that you will become like him as you labor with him, being yoked with him. It says you will find rest for your souls. Now, the character of the Lord that he is developing in us, it says, verse 29, For I am gentle and lowly of heart. I am gentle and lowly of heart. He is gentle and he is meek. And he deals with repentant and obedient hearts uh, gently also. And we should deal with others also with gentleness and meekness, as he did. He lovingly trains us and leads us and guides us as we are yoked with him. And as we labor with him in the same yoke, we become more like him, of course. Now, Rodney shared uh, three, four weeks ago, I believe, from 1 Peter 3 about a gentle and quiet spirit. This, I believe, is what he is working to uh, develop in us. The Lord desires this, and he's developing it in us. And uh, the Apostle Paul cried out, essentially, 
that, that the Lord would, uh, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul is crying out, I want to become like Jesus, even in his death, even, even if it takes me down that road. But if we chafe at the yoke, if we're pulling on the yoke, we're trying to go our own way, we're pulling against him, the Lord of the universe, uh, against the yoke, we will become weary until we submit to him. He disciplines those whom he loves, and he will train us by his yoke. Now, he teaches very differently, obviously, than uh, teachers in the world. You have all had teachers like that. Well, maybe some of you haven't. Your parents are good teachers. But some of us who were not homeschooled <clears throat> have some interesting experiences. In fact, I've talked with several here uh, who grew up in a parochial school, Catholic school. And every one of them, I cannot think of any, uh, and even men I've talked to who aren't here, who did not have a sister who taught by just being mean. I mean, a really tough sister. And, you know, like you can picture her sister Brunhilde or somebody. Just, you know, really, you learn by fear, essentially. And that was, this sister, for whatever reason, thought that's an effective way to teach. Um, and then, of course, Calvin and Hobbes. Everybody knows Miss Wormwood. You know, what a perfect name, Miss Wormwood. And Calvin was always scared that uh, Miss Wormwood would call on him. And he had good reason to be scared because he was a terrible student. Uh, but, you know, you remember how he pictured her in his imaginations? She's always some hideous creature from another planet chasing him, you know. That was his idea of, uh, of a teacher. And I had one uh, when I was in junior high school here in Omaha at uh, Norris Junior High School. Uh, our, our football coach, uh, I guess you'd call him a teacher. I don't know what he taught. History, I don't know, underwater basket weaving or something like that. But anyway, he, the class that he liked was uh, study hall. This is hundreds of people. This is a large study hall. And uh, you didn't mess with this guy. But uh, if, he, if you were talking or something, he'd yell your name. And you'd have to come up to the front. This is for guys only, by the way. And you'd have to bend over and grab your ankles. And he had made this. Th- this is how he believed this was effective education. And he called it the Board of Education. He had this round handle, and he had a board. And he hooked this round handle on this board, and he drilled holes in the board so it would whistle as it was coming to you. And he really, this is, you could do this back in the 60s, by the way. And by the way, I don't think I ever, I don't remember ever myself going up there. Uh, but it was effective, I would say, because I don't, also don't remember too many people who went twice. But with all his strength, this is how he taught. He, in front of everybody, I mean, the embarrassment was probably worse than anything. And, you know, that's how he did it. Now, we have a great contrast in Jesus, our precious Lord, of course. He was not harsh. He's not overbearing. He's not oppressive in his teaching like the Pharisees were. <clears throat> he was meek, and he was gentle in his education and in his discipline. His laws are reasonable, not burdensome, and we can learn from him without fear, that, that, like uh, I just mentioned. Now, if we become particularly rebellious and unwilling to learn a lesson, he will discipline us. He loves us. But he will discipline us in love. And we should be thankful that our teacher is gentle and humble and compassionate as he does train us. Especially as we're also, maybe like Calvin sometimes, not always the most willing students. And as we uh, learn from him, we will become like him. And then we will teach uh, others the way he has taught us. In Hebrews 12, there's a uh, major section on discipline, verses 3 through 11. <clears throat> but in verse 11, it says, Now no chastening or no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, 
but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the fruit, or the result of growing in righteousness as a result of discipline, being yoked with the Lord Jesus, is peaceable. It's restful. And being yoked with Jesus is being uh, always in a loving training program. Sometimes tough, because, uh, but because of his grace, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Matthew Henry uh, wrote this about yokes. He's, uh, this particular yoke. It is a yoke that is lined with love. Now, yokes, I believe, were often uh, hard on the animal, and they'd round off the corners or put something in there. Uh, but Matthew Henry, talking about us being yoked with the Lord, he said, it is a yoke that is lined with love. So powerful are the assistances he gives, that is, the person we are yoked with, the Lord Jesus. So powerful are the assistances he gives us. He's always helping us. So suitable the encouragements. You know, he's always saying in the yoke, well, I'm with you. And so strong the consolations. You know, I will comfort you, the Lord says, to be found in the way of duty that we may truly say it is a yoke of pleasantness. The way of duty is the way of rest. Verse 29 goes on, it says, and you will find rest for your souls. You, you can and you should actually experience true rest as you are yoked with the Lord, the rest of your soul. You can actually find it, you can appropriate it, not just know about it. And the result will be, uh, first of all, joy and peace in the Holy Spirit, and then also direction and power in your labor. Each day he guides us by his gentle yoke as we submit to him. Now sometimes we have to repent and quit pulling the wrong direction. And the work we do here as we are yoked with the Lord Jesus is preparing us for the work we will joyfully do in heaven. And pulling against this yoke, I believe, is what First Peter 5 is saying. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, the humble, God is, you know, the humble person is teachable. He's not pulling the, the other way in the yoke. Um, the humble person is learning. But God opposes the proud. You want to be opposed by the Almighty God? Well, you can pull that way if you want to. He's going this way. Now, one example in my life, back in 1972, <clears throat> I was very desirous of rest. I didn't know what to do with my life. I was not a believer. Uh, I needed direction in my life. I wanted a purpose. And I cried out to him. And so um, he opened my eyes. He helped me to understand the, uh, his love for me, his sacrifice for me. So I submitted to him by his grace. And uh, I was overjoyed to be yoked with Jesus. I would never had uh, read this passage, I believe, for some time. Uh, but I learned the blessing of being yoked with the Lord. And yet, I have pulled against the yoke in, sometimes in my life. One of the larger ones recently was back in the early 90s. Sherry and I, and uh, I think we had three kids at the time. Uh, we were in Japan, and uh, it seemed like the Lord is leading that the door should be closing and I should be heading back to the United States. And I could not understand this. And I, I believe I was pulling against the yoke at this point. And, uh, you know, back in 1972, I had said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I meant it uh, by his grace. And I did it periodically. Uh, you probably should do it every day. Uh, but uh, at that point in the 90s when I was in Japan, uh, I guess I just kind of quit saying it. And, uh, but I was really struggling with coming back to the United States, um, which is the way he was leading. Um, he was pulling that way. I was pulling this way. Uh, but rest came as I submitted to his will. We came back. Here we are. Now in verse 30 it says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This burden is nothing 
like, the burdens of man-made so-called salvation, which are just a different form of slavery, another kind of burden. And while the Lord's yoke is not the crippling burden of a guilt-laden conscience, we are yoked. We're yoked with the Lord Jesus, but it's light, and we're never alone in carrying it. Everyone's yoked, by the way. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, according to Romans 6. That's why I said the yoke's on you. The yoke's on you. You all, you all are yoked. One way or the other, you're yoked. Now, being yoked to any other than Jesus really is torture. And for some, it becomes something like hell on earth. Uh, you know, the enemy of our souls gladly and cleverly yokes people to foolish things, things that deaden them, kill them. But Christians are yoked to the Lord Jesus, and through his body, we are yoked to each other, essentially. And this kind of yoking is used, uh, especially of marriage in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, and other close, intimate relationships. It said we're not to be unequally yoked. So in conclusion, I'd like to review the three action words and uh, suggest a few applications. First of all, it says, come to me. Come to me, Jesus said. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is, by the way, as I mentioned, a continual invitation. As you did at your conversion, you must do so daily if you are to experience true rest, the rest for your soul. And the question is, do you daily come to him? You need to. Do you daily come to him? Number two, take my yoke upon you. So take. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to him and obey his will His pulling. And you are responsible to pull with him in the yoke. It's all by his grace. If we are steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, you can know that your labor will not be in vain. It can't be in vain. How could it be? We are yoked with him. And yokes, by the way, are not totally comfortable, probably, but they are productive, and in our case, eternally productive. So do you daily commit yourself to pulling with him, to obeying his will and going his direction? Number three, learn from me. We're to grow as disciples. We're to be learners always. First as willing students of our master, and then secondly, I believe, by learning from another mature believer, a parent or an elder, a spouse or a friend, someone who can encourage you as a disciple. And then you should seek to build up others in the same way. As you are trained, you train others. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, what you've heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're called to do the same thing. And fathers and husbands, we already have this obligation and joy to be uh, disciples and make disciples. So do you daily ask the Lord to give you a teachable heart, the heart of a learner, the heart of a disciple? And do you take action in disciplining yourself in the ways which please your master? In our case, I'd like to suggest that uh, four basic uh, spiritual disciplines. First of all, the intake of the word. How do you get the word in your life? Well, there's different ways, of course. You can hear, study, memorize, hear, read, study, memorize, or meditate upon it. You can do all of those and probably should do all of those. So uh, how do you get the word in your life? Discipline yourself to get the word in your heart. Secondly, by prayer and fasting. Are you steadfast in this work of the Lord? This is a labor of the Lord, uh, prayer and fasting, a labor with the Lord. And then number three, uh, we must discipline ourselves 
to be consistent in fellowship. First of all, fellowship with the Lord, which is our devotional life, but also with each other. You know, we're committed to the fellowship uh, in the body here. And then uh, number four, in witnessing or basically inviting others to come to Jesus. Are we growing in that ability? Are we asking God to use us? Are we asking him to open our eyes to see those who are burdened around us, who are yoked, but they're dying with their yoke on? So if you come to him and you take his yoke, you don't pull your own way, and you learn from him, the promise is you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it amazes us that you would yoke yourself with us. Lord, thank you for allowing us, for calling us to come to you, and for the promise of true rest, of rest for our souls. Lord, we want to grow as disciples who are teachable and to learn from you and become like you. Lord, forgive us for trying to pull another way. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us here to rejoice in our labor with you and for the eternal rewards awaiting us, which are all by your grace. And we pray this in the name of our Master and our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we have come. Amen.